What a, what a beautiful thing it is to hear what you have done in our brothers and sisters. What a beautiful thing is to be reminded that you're never late, that you're always on time. What a beautiful reminder, Lord, it is to know, Lord, that you have the power to transform people, to get them out of the dirt, Lord, and make them new. What a beautiful reminder, Lord, that it is for us to declare and to see and to hear that we both had died with Jesus and resurrected with him. I'm so thankful, Lord, for Arlene and Anastasia and Kim and Ryan and Stephanie and Joe. They are testimonies of your grace. They are testimonies of your power. And I pray, Lord, that once again today, regardless of what we are going through, we remember that their God is our God. He's the God that transforms everything, sustains everything, and can do anything. Lord, we want to pray for, for this ministry year, Lord, as this week we're going to start our groups again. Lord, we pray that this year may be a year in which we grow together, in which we, you speak to us and we remember once again who you are and what we have in Jesus. Lord, and it is because of these testimonies, the testimonies that we just heard and saw, that we are invited, Lord, to be generous to this church. Lord, because we know that we have a generous God, the reason why we want to be generous today. And we pray, Lord, that you use this offering for the glory of your name, for the joy of your church, and for your church to continue to do and see and hear what we saw and heard today. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says...
morning. It's so great to see you here today. My name is Hannah and I serve with our student ministries team. Take a moment to fill out the Connect card on the welcome guide you received when you walked in. Our team would love to be able to pray for your needs and celebrate how God is working in your life. Fill out what you're comfortable sharing and add a prayer request on the back. On your way out, you can drop it in the Connect card boxes by the doors or take it to the welcome desk after service to meet some of our team, ask any questions you might have, and if this is your first time with us, we'd love to give you a free movie night kit as our thank you for joining us today. If you're new to Wheaton Bible and want to learn more about who we are as a church and start connecting with others, then you are invited to join us for step one of the growth track next week. The monthly growth track is made up of two consecutive weekly experiences designed to help you grow in your relationship with God, connect to the church, and reach your full potential. Next week, step one, we'll get to know each other, dive deep into what life at Wheaton Bible Church is all about, and ask any questions you have. It takes place during the 1030 service, and you can register at wheatonbible.org slash get involved. Making true connections can be hard. You're busy and so is everyone else, but no one really wants to do life alone. We long for a connection with others, a place where we can be real with each other, connecting with others as we explore how to know God and serve Him. But you aren't sure how to get there. Where's that kind of connection happening in your life? Maybe you're hesitant to get that close to others. Maybe you wonder what they'll think of you. You may feel like you don't know enough about God yet or that you're stuck in a faith journey that sometimes feels like it's not going anywhere. You know what? You're not the only one who has those feelings. We all have times where we may think we're not good enough we're not ready for real connection. That's why groups exist and why it's the perfect place for you to grow in community with others no matter what stage of life you're in. But you have to take the first step and that step is signing up for a group. Groups come in many shapes and sizes. There's a group that fits with your schedule and a group in the same stage of life. Together, you'll be reading the Bible, learning about prayer and how to break free from destructive patterns. You'll discuss what it means to be people of generosity who serve the community share our life stories, and celebrate all that God is doing. And while your group may start out as strangers, if your experience is like hundreds of others, these people will soon feel like family. Step out and be bold. Find your tribe, your family, your squad, or posse. Find your fit. Your group is waiting. Groups are launching soon, but you can sign up right now. If you're looking to connect in community with other friends and family, consider a life group. Do you want to dive deeper in your Bible? There are many others like you joining Bible studies. And if you're facing a difficult season right now, others are here to walk beside you in care and support groups. All the details are available online at wheatonbible.org slash getinvolved. Or you can talk with some of our community life team in the atrium after service. Check them out and find your fit. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. All right, good morning, familia. Could you please stand for the reading of God's word? We do this as a sign of reverence to the Lord and to his word. Today we're going to be reading from Acts uh, chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 41 through 47. Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. If you are here with me, can you please say amen? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with the same awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you speak to us today. As always, we rely on the power of your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit uses your word to illuminate our mind, to confront our hearts, to invite us into the life that we already have in Jesus Christ. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may be seated. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here. And if you're visiting for the first time, I want to welcome you again. I want to let you know that we're here to love you and serve you. So please let us know if there's anything we can do for you. I think that you picked the best Sunday to come to church, not just because I'm preaching, but actually not because I'm preaching. Not true. But, uh, but because the topic that we're going to be addressing today, we're going to be talking about community. And I have to say that um, that's one of my favorite uh, topics to talk about. Now, if you have been coming to the church for a while, you know that I always greet the church the same way. I always say, good morning. Well, the pronunciation was terrible, people. (laughs) Can't complain about my accent, I tell you. Let's try that again. Good morning. That's beautiful. The reason why I use that word is because I truly, truly, truly believe that Spanish is the language that we're going to use in heaven. (laughs) Not true. There's like three of you guys clapping. (laughs) The reason why I use the word familia is because I truly believe that the word family is the best word that describes what the church ought to be. I think it's the most biblical word that describes what the church ought to be because we believe that when we become Christians, he turns us into a family. A family that meets together frequently, a family that meets together to love one another and serve one another and confront one another, a family that comes together to remind one another who we are in Jesus and what we have in Jesus. That's the best word, in my opinion, to describe what the church is. That's why the title for the sermon today is Grow in Community, Grow as a Family. And these are my three points for today. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to say that community is something you are, not something you do. Community is something you live, not just something you learn. And community is something you got, not something you earned. So I, I, can you do me a favor? Can you just look at the person next to you and ask the question, do you know what it means to live in community? Go ahead. All right, that's enough. So if you're visiting for the first time, this is probably uncomfortable to you, but believe me, I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but this is just what we do as a church. So I want to talk about the first one when it says that community is something you are, not something you do. So let me start by explaining why is it that we chose Acts chapter 2 for this sermon. 
Um, and the primary reason is this. We believe that Acts chapter 2 is where the church in the New Testament begins. It's not that it's a new church because the church started all the way in the Old Testament with Abraham. But we believe that the book of Acts shows you where the church in the New Testament starts. And this church happens or uh, becomes a church after the preaching of one of uh, Jesus' disciples, Peter. And he delivered this amazing sermon. And the people that are hearing this sermon, the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. That simply means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, using the words of Peter, people felt and understood that they were sinners in need of a savior. Look at what happened after these people hear this sermon. In verse 41 says that they accepted the message, meaning that they believed the message, and automatically they were baptized. It's just a public confession, which is what we just saw here. And about 3,000 people were at it that day. That's a crazy good sermon. <laughs> 3,000 people, one sermon. And it's important that you recognize that when these people become Christians, in that context, that meant that they knew that they could be, that they were going to be persecuted, and that they knew that they would be rejected, and that they knew that they would be humiliated, and they knew that there was a high probability that they would be executed. So the question that I have to ask all these 3,000 people is, how did they do it? How is it that the first century church survived all of that? Well, the obvious answer for many of us is, well, God protected them, or to say that God was with them. And I would say, yes, amen to that. But what I want you to see from this text is that God did something more than that. I would argue that God protected them and was with them because he made them into a family. The way the Lord protected and defended this group of believers is because he turned them into a family. That's part of the reason why in the Bible, Christians are called brothers and sisters. That's part of the reason why we call the Christian church a community. I think that the reason why they survived, everything they survived was because they were a family, they were a community. And that's the reason why I say that a community is not something we do. Community is something we are. Let me say that again. Community is not something you do. Community is who you are if you are a Christian. And that becomes extremely clear in verses 44 and 46. Notice what it says that they were together and they were trying to meet together as much as possible. Now what I want you to see here is that you don't find anywhere in the Bible, at least in Acts, that the apostles told them that they were supposed to meet together. There is no commandment here from any of the disciples that they were supposed to be together. Actually, what the Bible says is that they were eager to be together. And I get that from verse 42 when it says that they devoted themselves. The word devoted is when you put intense effort for something. The whole idea here is that these people become Christians. 
and they can wait, and they desire, and they're eager to be together. And to put it in simple terms, to be a Christian is to be in community. To be a Christian is to be in community. Did you know that there's only one verse in the entire Bible that tells you that you're supposed to be in community? One verse, Hebrews chapter 10. And yet we find a group of people that they don't need the commandment. They just want to live together. They want to share their life. They want to be together. Did you know that when Jesus went to heaven, he left more than a Bible? He left a community of believers. 121st. 120 becomes 3,000, 3,120, and later on another 2,000 got added, and it goes from there. Jesus didn't leave just a Bible, people. Jesus left a community of faith. Did you know that Paul, the one that wrote more than one-third of the New Testament, 53 times in his writing says, calls Jesus our Lord. Not my Lord, he only does that, he only does that once. 53 times in his writings, he calls Jesus our Lord. Because faith is about our Lord, our faith, our church, our community. Actually, let me press it a little bit more. Did you know that in the Bible, you never find the phrase, Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior? That's something we invented. Of course, Jesus has to be our personal Lord and Savior, but Christianity was never meant to live in isolation. You will never find a statement. You will never find a statement that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. It's always our Lord and our Savior. How did the church in the first century survive? Because right from the beginning, they understood that they were a family. They wanted, desired, and were eager to be together. Even though they came from so many different backgrounds, even though they were so different at different levels, and I'll show you that later on. I actually think that in modern days, most people like the concept of community. But I also think that most people in society today find doing community something really, really hard to apply. And part of the reason why it's so hard to apply is because as a society, we are the product of what some sociologists will call radical individualism. Meaning that the tendency of our society is to put the individual before the community. Or to put the individual before the family. Or to, and the, and the most prominent idea right now is, I am not my brother's keepers. This idea that you gotta think about yourself first, not only is anti-biblical, but it's impossible to do community like that. So I have been reading a book called When the Church Was a Family, and this is a New Testament scholar, and this is what he says. We in America have been socialized to believe that our own dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group to which we belong. 
The immediate needs of, our, of the individual are more important than the long-term health of a group. Radical individualism has affected our whole way of viewing the Christian faith. And it has profoundly compromised the solidarity of our relational commitments to one another. This is what he's saying. That secular mentality of radical individualism came into the church as well. And he argues that you can see this by the way we take decisions. And I think that he's completely right. He says that there's a tendency in our society to make all the major decisions in our lives by ourselves. Especially in three areas, he says. Vocation, what I want to do for a living. Marriage or dating, who I want to spend the rest of my life with and where I live. Isn't that true? When was the last time somebody asked you, hey, should this be my work? When was the last time somebody asked you, is, is, this, is this boy good for me? Is this girl good for me? When was the last time says, should I move or not move? See, part of the Christian faith is to understand that we are responsible for our own personal decisions. But that every major decision in life requires the wisdom of a community. See, if you want to argue against that, all you have to do is read Romans chapter 12. This is Paul talking to the church. And he says there that the church are members of one another. You know what that means? You belong to me, I belong to you. And then he says that we should never, and that's the word, never, ought to be wise in our own sight. Never. So let me give you an example, and I used this before. Um, some, some of you guys heard that I have this condition that is color blindness. Remember that? If you've been part of the church? Um, meaning that I struggle recognizing some colors, right? And some colors I see perfectly fine. So, for example, I love the way you're wearing yellow today. That's amazing. How did you guys do that? What that means then, in a practical, in a practical way, is that every Saturday night, most Saturday nights, I go to my wife and my daughters and I say, does this match? Because I, I don't want to come here on Sunday morning looking like a clown. <laughs> I don't care about Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday I'm going to be on that screen. <laughs> so if I come here looking like a clown, you cannot even blame me for that. You got to blame the family. <laughs> See, the reason why I need them is because I need them to help me see what I cannot see. That's the problem with color blindness. Even if I try harder, I cannot see it. Ugh. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I need somebody else to say, Papi, that's not yellow, that's red. Oh, it doesn't work that way, but that's kind of the idea. Or I need my community to help me see different options. That's a good description of what it means to be a Christian. What makes you think that you got all the wisdom necessary to make the major decisions in life by yourself? Last I checked, we are all sinners. And we all have blind spots. 
A few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a friend, and he's about to make a major decision, and right before, right at the beginning of the conversation, he tells me, Hannibal, first of all, I want you to know that there's nothing you could tell me that will, that will make me change my mind. And I'm thinking, why are we having this conversation? <laughs> you make your decision, bro. I'll, I'll be praying for you. We all need community. We need to be surrounded by people that loves us enough to help us see the things that we cannot see. We need to be surrounded by people that helps us make the major decisions in life. We need to be surrounded by people that will love us enough to help us see the blindest spots. We need to be surrounded by people that would help us and would support us in time of need. Of need. For believers, the community is something we are, not something we do. Can you say, this is something we are? Now let's go to the second point because you guys got an A on that one. Community is something we live, not something you learn. What I mean by this one here is that community requires intentionality, right? So you could hear this sermon. Every year we preach this sermon, by the way. So you could hear this sermon for 20 years in a row, every year, but if you are not intentional about living in community, this is just information. Community requires intentionality in three specific areas. What I love about Acts chapter 2 is that you don't have to guess what community looks like. The book tells you that a community of faith has these three practices. We are a community of learning, a community of loving, and a community of worshiping. Learning, loving, and worshiping. Look at the first one here, a community uh, of learning. Notice here that this group of people devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Meaning that they devoted themselves to learn what the New Testament had to say. It's okay when we gather to have fun. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay when we gather just to have this sense of belonging to one another. Nothing wrong with that. But one of the reasons why the Christian, of, the, Christian of the believers get together is because we want to grow in the understanding of the word of God. Because we truly believe that the word of God is the only thing that changes people. What is amazing about this church is that they met, they met both informally, in houses, and formally in the church. And you can see that in verse 46, because they used to go to the temple all the time. Every day, frequently, they will go to the temple. I'm not saying that you gotta come to church every day. If you come to church, the church might be closed, right? That's not the idea. The idea is these people were eager to be together all the time. And nobody told them that they were supposed to. So last year, I had one of those moments um, that the Lord is teaching me stuff that I have preached about, but it didn't become a real thing. So um, my wife and I joined a group last year, and it was a group uh, in which uh, I had a biracial couple, uh, a Latino couple, uh, a young adult here, and my wife is here. And um, it's one of those groups where you, we actually go through, through the sermon, right? So we get together and we talk about the sermon, which is kind of weird because the sermon we were gonna talk about was one of my sermons. Now, I cannot go to the group and say, oh, I was ministered by my sermon. That would be weird, right? So usually my attitude when I go to these, to, uh, my attitude when I went to the group was to sit down and listen. Now, remember, these are not pastors of the church. These are not theologians. These are not just regular church people. 
And my attitude, because the Lord was teaching me, I just sit and listen. Man, and I remember, like, if you sit day, I'm just sitting, hearing them talk about the Bible and how the Bible talks to them, and I feel inside of me being ministered, and I feel that I'm learning from these people. And that for me was a reminder that the Bible was never meant to be just for me. And that the Bible, by design, is so we learn how to do it to we learn together. By design. There's no other way to grow. Did you know that all cults in the history of the world started when a person thought that you could interpret the Bible by yourself? Every cult in the history of the world. No, that's what God says. You got 2,000 years of history that says, no, that's not what he said. You need other people, even to grow in the understanding of the word. It was not only a learning community, but a loving community. Look at what it says, that they experienced fellowship. The word fellowship is the word koinonia, which is a famous word, a Greek word, right? And the word fellowship, koinonia, has two different meanings, I believe. The first meaning is the word communion or partnership, meaning that Christians want to experience communion with one another, that we want to do life with one another. This is what is interesting, though, that the concept of fellowship or communion means that you need other people even to see the things that you cannot see about yourself. You cannot claim to have communion with anybody and you be the only person talking. You need other people to point to you where you struggle. That's fellowship. So this week I was reading in the life of this Catholic a philosopher and theologian that decided to live in community with people with special needs. And this is the reason why, this is his explanation on why he did this. He says, community life is difficult. So we often settle for something less. Now, if you have been part of a, of a community, you know that to be true. Community is difficult. You know why? Because you're still a sinner hanging around with all the sinners. So community life is difficult, he says, but community is essential. I find it interesting, and I'm quoting, that community plays such an important role in recognizing and entering into our weakness. Community is the place where we discover our own fragilities, wounds, and inability to love. This is a place where we find our limitations, our fears, our egoism, and our egoism is revealed to us. We cannot get away from the negative in ourselves. We have to face it. Therefore, we need community because community life brings the painful revelation of the monsters inside of us. I shared this with you before. I thought that I was a godly man until God gave me a community. I thought that I was a patient man until God gave me a community. Actually, I've, I was just remembering between services, during the summer, I went to mission trips, uh, some of the mission trips with our students, and we playing, we playing a game with, with some of the middle schoolers, right? And when I get into the game, man, I forget that I'm just 
with kids, right? I'm just become one of the kids, right? So I'm going, ah, 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 he needed really hard. And then this student tells me, are you sure you are a pastor? <laughs> and then she says, that's not very godly. <laughs> you see, that voice at that moment reminded me that I need help. You always need somebody to let you see what you're not, that you think you are. That's a loving community. And the second definition for the word fellowship is to share. It's actually the word generosity. And that's the reason why this church in verses 44 and 45 shows us that they had everything in common. And then if there was a need in the congregation, they provided for them. Once again, notice here that no one is telling them that this is what they're supposed to do. This was voluntary. This just happened. You don't function well without community. Listen up, church. You won't survive without community because you were not designed that way because that's something we are and because that's how we live. Look at this, another example of loving community. Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together. Now the reason why I put this verse here is because it's very, very, very significant. So these people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the first thing that they do is they wanna be together and they invite one another to their homes. Now, you, you gotta ask the question, who were they? Because that might be something that we practice as a church. Let's say that as a church, you invite people to your home. Let's say that you have meals with people. But in the context of the text tells you that our community is much more than the people, that the, the, the people who are supposed to be in your home is, is not just necessarily the people that look like you. You know how I know that? Because the 3,000 3, people that came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ were people from different cultures, different race, different class, different temperament, different ages. The Christian community is a group of people that come from different cultures, different races, different classes, different temperaments, and different ages. That's what community looks like. And they're saying it doesn't matter if you don't look like me, if we have the same temperament, if you like the things that I like, we belong together. I have experienced that as a Christian. In my personal life, I have experienced this. I feel sometimes I feel much more comfortable with an African Christian that lives in a different part of the world than with the people that look like me. Do you know why? Because with that African brother, we worship the same God. There's this sense of oneness. I get to see family resemblance even if we don't look the same. Something tells me that we just fit together. It's crazy, I can't even explain it well. It's something tells me that we fit together. 
So I become a Christian, and now I'm not just hanging around with Latinos. I'm hanging around with, with people that eat macaroni and cheese, for goodness sake. That's not even food, people. That's for crafts and stuff like that. And I become a Christian, and I'm not only hanging around with Latinos, but I'm hanging around with people that play golf, for goodness sake. You know, at golf, it's only like two countries that play that thing. The rest of the world plays soccer, people. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. Amen. Glory to Dios. And for some reason, I just feel as one. That's a loving community. We learn, we love one another, and also we worship together. Notice here that they said that as much as they could, they were breaking the bread and prayer. Now, the breaking of the bread tells you that this is formal worship. They went to the church together. They learned together. They prayed together. They did communion together. They, they, they baptized people together. This is a group of people that understand that community happens in our homes and in our church. The reason why I use the word worship is because when we come together, everything we do is worship. We worship when we open the doors. We worship when we're doing things in the tech. We worship when we're serving people. We worship when we teach. We worship when we sing. We worship when, when we do everything in the church. Everything we do as a church is worship. Community is something we are, and community is something we live. We come together as much as we can to learn, to love, and to worship. That's the Christian faith. Now, people might say, well, Hannibal, you're telling me that we, my life is all about Christians then. Of course not. I would, actually, I would like to argue, actually, that the most effective and the best evangelistic tool the church has is our community. If you want an unbelieving world to come to the saving and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have to learn how to live in community. You know where I get that from? Verse 47. They learned to live the way we're supposed to live. And the Lord added people, that, the people that were being saved. So here, church people, hear me out here. In the last 30, 40 years, Christianity continued to decline in the United States. That's a fact. Less and less people are becoming Christians. And I have to blame, at least partly, the church. Let's not blame it only on the pagan world and the different philosophies and different ideologies. We have to blame the church. And I don't want us to be like that. In the last 15 years, the church has been known more for our political alliances and for our hyper-nationalism and for our divisions than for the love that we have for one another. The only way we reach an unbelieving world is when we learn to love one another, when we live who we are, when we become a strong community. That's why I think that the church needs to repent time after time. 
Now, I want you to take this into consideration. I want you to try to put this in perspective. This is 3,000 people that came to know the Lord. So about 3,200 people all together. At that time when Peter preaches this amazing sermon, there's about 200,000 people living in Jerusalem. 200,000 people. And these are only 3,000 people, meaning that less than 2% were Christians in that society at that time. And yet, Christianity became the fastest growing movement in the history of the world with 3,000 people. Do you know why? Because these people learned to live their faith and share their life. Because they learned to live their faith and share their life. And the Lord used them as one of the means to bring people to him. That's why community is so important. And that's why today I need to invite you to find a group because you have a group waiting for you. So if you're part of the community, this is just to reinforce what you're already living. But if you're not part of the community, I want to invite you to respond to this. Because if you are a Christian, this is what you're supposed to be. So see, as a church, we have three different groups, and you heard this in announcements. We have live groups, in which it's a group of people that come together weekly um, to, to share life, to invest in one another's, and usually a, a, a person becomes part of a live group if they first go to what we call the rooted experience. Now, if you want information about that, please visit the website or stop by one of the tables and in the atrium. You, you will find people that give you information about that. The second group, the second set of groups that we have is the Bible studies. This is also a, men of, a group of men and women that come together for study the Bible together, for pray, to do life together because the church is a community of learners. And the third set of groups is the, what we call our support groups. And these groups are designed to help members navigate the different seasons in life and navigate the different struggles in life. So if you are not part of a group, Listen up, church. You need to find a group. You were designed for that. You won't make it by yourself. Amen? Amen. The church then is something you are, not something you do. The church and the community is something you live, not something you learn. And lastly, the church is something you got, not something you, the community is something you got, not something you learned or, or you earned. It's interesting because in verse 46, the text says that these people were full of gladness and sincere hearts. The question that I got to ask these people is, where did the gladness come from? Were they glad because they were together? Maybe not. I mean, if you spend time with people, sometimes you're going to struggle. Did gladness come because they were having the best time ever? I told you that they were being persecuted. Did the gladness come which is having fun? Maybe not. So we got to put this text in context. And you got to remember that the gladness that these people experienced came not because of the things we were doing, but because who they were in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did for them. See, this is a group of people that heard and believed. 
by the sermon Peter preached that Jesus was completely God and completely man. All powerful and he understood everything we go through. They heard and believed that that Jesus would die on a cross as the consequences for our sin or for the consequences of our sin. These people heard and believed that that cross was part of God's purpose. Meaning that the reason why Jesus came is because God was the one that initiated our salvation. We didn't want him, we didn't look for him, we didn't desire him. The only reason why you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, is because God wanted you. He came for you and he rescued you. This is a group of people that heard and believed that this Jesus, three days later, will resurrect. This is the same group of people that heard and believed that that Jesus was the Messiah of the Old Testament. This is the same group of people that heard and believed that now that Jesus is standing in the right hand of God, interceding for us 24-7. This is the same group of people that heard and believed that later on Jesus will send his spirit to help us see, to help us believe, and to help us repent. This is the same group of people that heard and believed the good news of the gospel. The reason why they wanted to be together is because the natural reaction for, some, for anybody when they find something beautiful is to want to share it with others. Isn't that what you do when you find something amazing? You call people, come and see what I found. Or you look for people that enjoy the very things you enjoy. People from different cultures, different races, different ages, different backgrounds, different temperaments. Learning how to do life together. Because this is something we are. This is how we live, and this is what we got. We didn't work for it. It was a gift. Amen? Okay, I need you to do me a favor. Can you please stand? And I'm going to give you 20 seconds of intimacy with God. And if you're part of a community, I want you to thank God for the community that he has given you. And I want you to ask God to continue to bless your community. But if you are not, if you're not part of our, uh, a community, I want you to ask God to give you one. Just you, 20 seconds, you and God, and then I'm going to pray for us. Lord, as Christians, we're supposed, to be in a, we're supposed to be a community of joy. We're supposed to be an alternate uh, human society based on love and truth. Lord, too many of our Christian communities are ingrown or invisible at best or unattractive at worst. Help us become one small but important part of making our church beautiful to all around us. We were created for this. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, Amen. now we're, we're about to respond to the Lord in adoration.